The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Today. Well, I say let's just dive right into the New York Auto Show. There are so many cars that have come out in this yeah. auto show. I'm pretty floored by some awesomeness here. We've got to get to the questions all you have asked mm-hmm. us. Just fantastic yep. once again. Yep. And uh, some of them do relate to the cars introduced at the New York Auto Show. But I say let's just go for it. Let's just dive right in and start on the favorites, the not-so-favorites. Have you seen all the cars so far? Have you looked through everything? Have you had a chance to kind of see all the I've concepts been, as well? Yeah, I've been flipping through. New York's one of those shows that we don't go, and every time we don't go, I kind of wish we had. It's one of those shows, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, we always go to the L.A. show. The New York show we always watch from afar. There's almost always cool stuff there, but I feel like it just got buried in cool stuff yeah. this year. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of shocked. Well, we've got to so just start I, right in. We've just got to jump in to Dodge. Dodge and Jeep products. It's the okay. elephant in the room. I say let's just start off with the Jeep Trackhawk Hellcat. Dodge has figured out a way to stop blowing diffs in the Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And the Dodge Challenger SRT Demon. Uh, holy cow. I'm reading stats, and you and I just had a podcast yeah. about stats don't matter and does kind of give you a sense, you know, with with one of the keys for that Dodge Demon, it gives you a, you know, really insignificant only 500 horsepower, but then you have to use the other key to get 840. I'm almost unsure how to tackle this one because I I so don't get it. Okay, I can set Th- this, this up. This is my problem. I can set this okay, up. Okay, go. Go, go. Please. We've talked about Ford. Yes. Uh, they're all their performance line and a performance version of just about every car they make. And a great yes. mix of, hey, a lot of horsepower and, hey, great handling, sports car, and cars mm-hmm. that are available at a good every, price point for us. Okay? In every price point. Yeah, agreed. Totally agree. And now we've got Dodge over here, which is exactly the opposite. They've mm-hmm. really doubled down on monster engines and what I'll just say traditional ways of making horsepower. They're just yeah. – they're all yeah. in, baby. With the, with the Demon and now the Jeep, they're 100% in. I cannot imagine – a 700 horsepower version of my Jeep. I'm I really boggled by that. And then there's Chevy right in the middle, I feel like, with really high performance, high horsepower cars, the new Camaro and uh, Corvette and all the flavors of those that are sure, very much sure. track oriented and track tuned. But there's not a lot of cars at the lower end, like you've said, the Chevy Cruze. Yeah. That's there's, a, there's you know, an ST definitely stuff missing there. Version. Yeah. But I feel like Ford and Dodge are now and kind of FCA products are are diametrically opposed. They make horsepower differently. Yeah. They're huge yeah. superchargers. Ford is lightweight, nimble, turbos, and all this stuff over True. here. And True. unbelievable p- power. And I think, okay, all the, <laughs> all the races, all the drag races are coming between a Tesla Model X or a Tesla anything and a Dodge yeah. anything. We're going to see those very soon, as soon as the demon hits the streets. Okay. And now they're claiming it's the quickest in straight line, but, but I just, uh, mm. electric cars. So electric cars and Dodge products are being sold in the same way. They're really fast in a straight line. Yay. Yeah, fair point. That, that, that's, that's a weird dichotomy, isn't it? That these, right. That's the selling point of these two completely different things. Right. The Dodge that can't burn. The Dodge is burning all the gas the Teslas aren't. 
It's its own gas and all of the Tesla's they extra gas each to other? get its power. And, and and the Tesla's over here with no gas, and they're doing the same zero to 60 and quarter mile times. But that comes back to something spinning off the last podcast. One of the questions was, what stat do we think is irrelevant? And we both said zero to 60. A couple of you chimed in with, you think it's quarter mile. I have to back your play on that, too. I think quarter mile is irrelevant. Here is the reason I don't get this car, for two reasons. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I think I'm with you. you. If if your if your number one desire if you're a guy and this is not us and so I admit bias if you want to call it that but if you're a guy who fun for you in a car is drag racing that's not us but I know there's a huge culture of that and that's fine but what I wonder is why on earth would you spend eighty to a hundred grand which is what this car is going to be to buy a factory version wouldn't you have spent probably sixty to eighty to just build yourself your perfect drag car. Wouldn't you have bought a, a, a beat up GTR at sixty grand and put twenty into it and kill everybody? Yeah. Why? I, yeah. I, I I feel like the market for this car is even smaller than most focused sports cars. That's one thing about it is I just it's so focused on being a one trick pony. The problem, yeah. if you will, with the Hellcats is that the engine's amazing and the rest of the car around it is fine. And now they're – you're talking about doubling down. Now they're going, let's make it even more amazing and ignore everything else even further. I just yeah. – I, I, what? Yeah. I, I want more well-rounded cars. And, and, and this is my – look, I'm going to say something I, I, I don't want to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. I actually wonder – you could argue Dodge is the only one doing that. Isn't that awesome? Yes. But I actually submit that because they have this engine that everybody's excited about, it is holding them back from making better, well-rounded cars. Mm. We're just going to put that huge engine in another one of our chassis and crank it up again and forget everything else. You know what? Go make better, fully well-rounded cars instead of mm. just leaning on, you see how much horsepower we have? I, yeah. I think it's starting to hold them back as a product line. And I think this demon is just a manufacturer bragging rights car. There's there's no real purpose for a manufacturer to sell this car. It's just, okay, I sold you a car for the drag strip. It's almost Great. painting the brand in a different way. It's almost a brand car rather than selling those cars as a way of making money. It's almost as a – we've introduced these cars as, as a way of okay. setting up the brand – but I don't know if that's the right choice. To your point, well, it, I'm, I have concerns. I, I, I see, what I, but you know, I do see what you're saying. This is the American muscle car version of selling a Ferrari hypercar. Only a hundred people will have one, and it doesn't matter because it's all everybody will talk about about the brand. Have you heard about the La Ferrari? Have you seen a La Ferrari? Oh my gosh, right. it's a Dodge Demon. It is right. in that world. So it is a, a halo car in that regard for the hundred people that will buy them. But I just I this is this honestly makes a focused rear wheel drive sports car chassis look like a volume seller by comparison. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I am I, I'm just floored reading the stats because at this mm -hmm. point, oh, it's nobody's driven it. It's shocking. The stats are all we have to relate to it right now. And, of course, you've asked yep. questions about the introduction at the New York Auto Show, the way they introduced the demon itself. They built a drag strip <laughs> indoors, the reveal, yep. the smoke, the fire, the whole deal. They kind of had yep. to. But, yes, they've 
just they've tripled down on this brand image. And yeah. kudos for the engineering side of things because they've managed to hopefully not make cars that blow up because of all this power. Just make the bolts tighter or something. I don't know. No. Well, and how do you warranty something like this? Well, that's – Honestly. That's a fine line to walk with mm-hmm. making it reliable engineering and long-lasting because Todd and I can't wait for the $25,000 Dodge Demons to be available used in the market years from now. When so everybody that we can, can have see them demon. all in ditches and wrapped around trees. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because right. if you've seen the front tires, some idiot is going to try to take this high speed on a freeway and turn, and and he's going to define understeer. Yeah, he, he it's going to be a lesson in understeer. It's going to be the the black tire marks that go through the guardrail, and it's going to be like, see that, kids? That's understeer. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I saw that it comes with the skinny front tires for the drag. It's set up. It looks to be like it's set up with. 18s all around, sort of, you know, huge meets all around, and then you can change out the fronts for the, sure. you know, just for the specific drag stuff that you're going to be doing every weekend when you own this car. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. How many times? <laughs> uh, okay. And, yeah, so we could keep talking about it, obviously. It's just, it's it's mind-blowing, to be honest, but it just feels like Dodge made a car for YouTube Mm, that's a good description. I like that description. I also like you kind of connecting it to the halo cars or the hyper cars because that kind of helps me see it better from a brand image perspective. From a product we're actually selling perspective, I I still think the guys that are going to drag every weekend are building their car, yeah, not buying it. I just the brand image is now the Hulk. It smashes everything and it just does. Yes, yeah. and nobody else on the yeah. planet has this approach. So they very much differentiated themselves, again, especially with True. a 707-horsepower Jeep. What? I, <laughs> yes. I'm honestly speechless honey, about this car. Honey, I need a Jeep. I decided to get this one. You wanted me to get an SUV. Hey, honey, I bought this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, the, the thing I think Dodge is killing right now is they are – you're right. They are killing an image that nobody else has, and I like – it sounds weird. I like that they're giving their cars names, yeah. not a string of numbers, names, yeah. Yeah. and cool logos. But, yeah, yeah. Good. But I play back to what you just said. Isn't this a car for YouTube as a result? Because, look, I'll talk about it as a filmmaker, how much I would love to shoot a nice slider move with a, with a lens flare that looks at that Demon logo. Ooh, cool. Right. Let's do a big shot looking at the meaty rear tires and the tiny little bicycle tire front tires. Ooh, it's going to look great for YouTube. But where's reality? I, I'm so of two minds about this. <laughs> and you and I want to drive both of these just to merely experience huge quantities of the emotion called disbelief. We just want to experience that <laughs> yeah. emotion in massive well, quantities. That, that's it. Yeah, let's get the, the track version Jeep and let's put that alongside your Jeep and really talk about what that extra almost doubling of horsepower does. I mean, just <laughs> tear the skis what off the on roof, earth. Win the wind. I yeah. Yikes. All right, so uh other cars got revealed at the New York Auto Show as you probably saw. <laughs> Back yeah, to true. fun sports cars, fun cars we also want to drive. The Civic Type R, hopefully you caught Tom's review of the last-gen Civic Type R. If you haven't seen uh-huh. that, please check it out. But now we've got the new one. Everybody's breathlessly awaiting this car. 
And we've got another hot hatch in the market now. It's come. Mm -hmm. There's going to be endless comparisons, of course, to all the usual suspects that you and I have driven. But I'm really looking forward to this car. I'm really curious. Agreed. Agreed. You know, I've heard a lot of comments here from you guys about, you know, different materials, all kinds of stuff, new technology differentiating this car. I feel like Honda's got to bring the noise. They brought the NSX. They spent a lot of time engineering that. And yeah, they've really yeah. got to bring something to differentiate them and bring them back into the this halo that we you know this pedestal that we all have them on as far as mm, drivers' mm. cars. I really have high hopes, and I really want to drive it. I, sure, it'll go up all all against the uh, the usual suspects, as I said. You know, to to find out. I'm even curious about the SI. I mean, the Type R oh, is very yeah, cool because yeah. it's never been here. But even the SI, I'd, I'd love to have them both together and talk about the jump from the new SI to the Type R and what, what matters and all of these kind of things. I think that's a fascinating discussion. I'm so glad they're coming. But, uh, yeah, it, we are still looking at that car from afar, which is a little frustrating. But I know we'll get there. We will get there. Mm-hmm. We will. Uh, what other cars stuck out to you? Did you go through uh, the well, list? I have a few a more f- from a style perspective that I want to talk about in a couple concepts as well. Well, this one this one might have struck you styling-wise, but I wanted to talk about it because I think it's an interesting shift for a brand. The Subaru Ascent. Oh, sure. Yeah. Subaru does a seven-seat traditional SUV. I The reason I want to bring this up is purely because, I mean, they have kind of done their Subaru design language on this. It looks like a mix between a Subaru and a, uh, like a Ford uh, Explorer. It kind of has that look about it. But this, to me, speaks to the juggernaut that is the SUV market right now because Subaru yeah, doesn't yeah. make SUVs. So for them to say, okay, here's our seven-seat SUV, the closest they got was the original Tribeca, which was this weird uh, kind of minivan, almost SUV thing. And that was so kind of universally ignored that you can still get a Tribeca, and now it looks like a slightly inflated Outback. So they've even gone away from that. And yet here is full-on SUV-looking thing. The big takeaway for me is just how much this says, if you want to make money in the market right now, you must sell an SUV. And here's Subaru going, okay. And, and, and Subaru has been selling so well. They've been setting records for the last couple of years in sales. Hmm. Based on that, I think it's even more fascinating that they still feel the need to do a traditional SUV. Agreed. And uh, Andres on Facebook has asked if I know anyone at the Subaru Design Studio and suggest that they stop drawing, put the pen down, and call it a day on this Ascent concept. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. It looks like Subaru tries to do a Volkswagen Titan or a Jeep Grand Cherokee or something like that, and they're calling it aimed at millennials, the millennial generation. Okay, but I've noticed over the years the Outback and the Forester just becoming increasingly bloated. If you look at the mid '90s, like a '93 Outback, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's actually a little tiny wagon. And then, yeah. yeah, yeah, I keep seeing them around, and I'm going, "That's that Outback is actually kind of big." I, wow, yeah, it just seems like they keep getting bigger and bigger. And now Subaru has just said, "You know what? Let's just be honest with ourselves." Kaboom! Yeah, here's the ascent, yeah. full on, full size. All right, I, All right. I parked a recent Outback. Next to our Acadia, right before we sold it, I happened to park a recent Outback oh, next right. to our you Acadia. This. Yeah. And the Outback, honestly, the Outback was 90, maybe 95% the size of the Acadia. Amazing. Which the Acadia is actually really good seven seat packaging. It genuinely is. But there's no reason for that Outback to be close to the same size. And the Forester, 
you know, think about the early 2000s Forester. It was the sleeper hot rod. You put a bunch of STI parts on that and you had this little tiny nobody sees you coming wagon. And now that's become this kind of lost its way bloated thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, fascinating. I mean, look, they're going the right direction with with the market because they're selling faster than ever. But I do think it's interesting that here they are with a full-size guy. So that was one I thought of. And then the other one I wanted to mention, because I think it speaks to something we talk about a lot, four-cylinder Jaguar F-Type. Oh, four-cylinder? good. Yeah. Hmm. I, yeah. I mean, this feels like a direct Jaguar response to the 718 series. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. They looked at that and clearly said, we have to sell something in that range. I mean, the numbers suggest they're pretty good. I mean, we're talking about... You know, around 300 horsepower and around 300 pound-feet of torque. Okay, those are still good numbers, no matter what the engine is under the hood. I'm still a little surprised by this. I wonder. I, I honestly don't know how this is going to sell. I think if it brought the car down to like 45, 50, it would sell like crazy. But I think it's still going to be 60 grand by the time you really get one. Yeah, I'm reading that too. And I'm curious though about the weight balance and actually kind of making this car a little bit lighter. Even though mm-hmm. it's down on power compared to the big boys, but I'm yeah. really intrigued by this, and I love the looks. I like the wheels on here that they've presented. Definitely, yeah. I'm pretty impressed by this, but they've still got to keep the price point high because of the perception of the brand. They're not going to do a thirty or forty thousand dollar Jag. Well, the XE. Yeah, I guess. You, I, I guess. Mean, I guess but, they have, but you know what I mean for well, the, the coupe, the, the, Halo the XE car, coupe. The XE, XE sedan is obviously cheaper, but, but yeah. I see what you're saying. For this car, I, I get your for point. For this one, for the sports car, yeah. you know. It's got to be a another kind of a halo car, but the lightweight nature of it and the potential for tuning is intriguing to me. I'm, True. I'm just... <laughs> see who could blow up their four-cylinder Jaguar <laughs> first. It's a challenge. Somebody's had a stopwatch. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be, you know... I, but um, Screw a turbo yeah, the size the, the of your the head weight, to this thing, and then let's see how yes. much power we make, you know? the weight, And then and then you go drag it against the demon, and now there's a YouTube video. They're, I'm they're, telling you. We've, we've solved YouTube for the night. That's, we've solved YouTube. There it is. Mm-hmm. They make YouTube cars Perfect. now. I, they're they're going to put those engines in everything, the Durango and everything. This is what I'm saying. That engine's going to be in the entire lineup instead of taking the lineup and going, how do we make these world beaters? Let's just throw the Hellcat engine in there. Uh, sir, it's a dart. I don't care. Figure it out. I don't care. You know, I, I mean, still love the fact that you've <laughs> made the Teslas and the Dodges of the world, they are they offset each other to be the carbon neutral equivalent. Yes. I, I that, love that, that thought. If if one of those companies would buy the other, they'd just be at zero point. It'd just be yes. blank now. Just be blank. Done. Yeah. That's really hilarious. Well, uh, still speaking of SUVs, the Range Rover Velar has really caught my eye from a style standpoint. I am admittedly pretty all about this, strangely. I, this just hits my hot buttons. It's just it's just sleek and great looking, and it's just, I feel like, what Range Rover needed to do. They're, mm. I, you thought they didn't need a fifth. Fifth SUV? <laughs> Sport, Discovery, the top of the line, the extended wheelbase. They're doing for just SUVs what BMW is doing for every niche they can find. That's what what Rover's doing, Land Rover's doing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Good looking. Anyway, uh, I'm pretty all about that. But, you know, it's it's not going to be a Cayenne, but okay. I think it's still going to be awesome. And I have admitted that I have said I would never own a Range Rover, but the Velar is asking, actually, uh, 
kind of pulling on the heartstrings there. I just I love the style. <laughs> I'm really digging it. Okay. All right. All right. Two other what quick else, concepts. Uh, style wise. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the Toyota FT4X SUV. You were speaking of jumbles of numbers and letters that don't make yeah. sense. Um, this is interesting. I did actually get to see this uh, uh, about a year ago, actually, uh, upon visiting the Toyota Design Studio, and very intriguing. And uh, yeah, I, it, here it is. Uh, the model is is out there, and I'm intrigued by this. It's very chunky, and and it really is taking Toyota in this, you know, very much the off road kind of feel and mm-hmm. useful. It's it's very useful looking. Well, it's useful looking, but you know what? The last <laughs> FJ Cruiser looked useful until no. you got in it and realized I cannot see out of the back three quarter. <laughs> I mean, that that car yeah. makes a Lotus Elise and other tiny sports cars with terrible visibility seem like bubble cockpits. So <laughs> it feels you like know, an F sixteen I mean, in here with the bubble <laughs> cockpit. I can see everywhere seriously. in the Lotus. Wow, and. Uh, and this finally, this AMG GT sedan. What a great idea. I love the AMG GT. And here they have, Mercedes has turned it into a four-door to go mm. after the Panamera. I, I can't want this more. I am just, I cannot <laughs> want this car more. Okay. I, it's a concept only. Who knows if they'll make yeah. it. But wow, Mercedes, Wow. Yeah, just clean well, they're, they're, lines, clean. Yes. Oh. They're they're doing a really fantastic job right now. I kind of feel like across their whole range of even their affordable stuff. And when I say that, of course, I mean the stuff that's running the low 30s, low mid 30s. Mm-hmm. Everything has an aspirational look and feel to it. Yeah. Which yeah, is really good, cool. Good I mean, even their, even their inexpensive, relatively inexpensive stuff still feels aspirational and looks really interesting and has, has an actual – like style decision about it. They they figured out a way to make, I feel like everything in their lineup, it feels like Mercedes, but yet it doesn't feel, if you follow me, uniform where they just kept squeezing out the exact same versions of the same car in different sizes. Everything has its own little style and yet stays Mercedes. I think they're killing it. Yeah, they are. And they've pulled it back from a little bit of a crazy look in prior years. They've kind of pushed it a little too far, I feel like, and they've really pulled back into some nice surface refinement. They've gone less on sharp lines and you know edges and ridges and that kind of stuff and they've just let the highlights Mm -hmm. dance they've just had nice surfaces and let the highlights do their thing over the surface and it's just Mm. ay 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 i'm liking this car so yeah you designer boy that that is it is great looking i mean it's hard it's hard to know what the reality is versus the the smoke and mirrors of a concept but it is great looking i have to say yeah well we've got a debate from chuck in new jersey who just recently wrote to us He's been wanting some research choices for his next car, of course. Mm-hmm. And I yep. liked it. I was kind of tra- tying this into just mileage because, you know, so many times you and I talk about just fun cars, sports cars. It's a, interestingly few and far between for folks that write to us asking more about the mileage thing combined mm-hmm. with fun in this CUV SUV category that you and I keep talking about that is dominating the market yeah. so much. And yeah, that's, that's definitely where he is. That's right where he's at. He's got a, a big story here about the memorable cars that, he've ha- that he has had and the current Mazda 3 that he's got, the 2012 Mazda 3 mm-hmm. that he's got. And he's looking for this kind of the, the mix. He, he is this, this target market, and many of you yeah, are. Yeah. 
I find it so intriguing because he's named cars that we don't really talk about, to be honest, Subaru Crosstrex and Ford C-Max Energy. He's yep, interested yep. in the tech here that's still affordable, that is s- still fun to drive, but it's, you know, he's not alluding to track car in here or you know, Canyon Drives. It's just got to be fun, but no. MPG and that CUV size, it's kind of rare that you and I have debated the CUVs very often, and so that's kind of why this stuck out. But Chuck, I will yeah. say you forgot to give us a budget, so we will give you a few choices here in some different ranges. Yeah. But with your Mazda 3, He's, we can get an idea. It's That's not a Well, problem. with the stuff that he said is kind of his short list, it gives us a range. I mean, I, I took the range to be essentially 25 to 35 grand because mm-hmm. one of the cars yeah. he did bring up that's still in the car world, he said, you know, he's talking about maybe a Volkswagen Golf or a GTI because, of course, they get around 30 miles to the gallon. That's the target figure in this discussion is that 30 miles to the gallon. Yeah. So uh, he's – but the thing I think is interesting is two things that weren't said here that kind of make this a mystery – in a great way, is you have this Mazda 3 that you really like, mm-hmm. and you found what we have found about it. You find it it's just engaging. It's surprisingly fun. It gets good gas mileage, but yet it's surprisingly dynamic and fun to drive. You prefer lighter, smaller stuff. Your wife really doesn't like this car. Now, you don't tell us why, but she really doesn't like it. She doesn't like it at the point that she's really encouraging you to shop for something else. She she had her eye on the uh, the new Honda small CUV, uh, the H the HRV and you couldn't like it less, so um, you drove it. And I'm not, yeah. you're not like from afar. You drove it and just felt like your description. Thank you for the uh, for the Star Wars reference. You said it felt like putting your automotive soul in and encasing it in kryptonite. So thank you, Han, uh, and uh, we will try desperately to get you out of that. Uh, so th- that's this is the problem. You're intrigued by the little bit higher ride height, and you want the good gas mileage. But you want this car to be small enough, it still feels interestingly and fun to chuck around, even though it's not going to be a canyon driver. But you like that small, agile feel. This is what we're chasing. I came up with a few ideas here, but uh, you're right. We're talking about cars you don't normally talk about. The ones in the no category, first of all, are the Mini Cooper, just too small for that car. Miata Mm -hmm. as well. Apparently, you can't fit. And the juke is out. So you kind of get the idea of what he's looking for. Just small CUV. A little bit, yeah. Somewhere in there, even though I realize the Miata is not a CUV. But you know what I mean. It's um, I, I chose three different cars for you, Chuck. And I started sort of at the lower end, one that you could really get for a great price. And then I mm-hmm. went kind of mid and then kind of higher end. But the higher end is still – it's nice, but it's not too expensive. So I'm just – I'm giving you Good. food for thought, especially since the New York Auto Show is going on. As we have mentioned, mm-hmm. you've got some research to go do. You've got some cars to go drive. And you're just kind of looking around. I'm going to start with the Kia Nero. I give Kia a lot of love, hmm. and there's a good reason. The specs on here, you've got to know about. So this is considered a parallel hybrid. It's got a 1.6-liter gasoline engine, by the way. Current Formula One cars also have 1.6 liter engines. So just yeah, because because those are similar. Kias and Formula One cars, they're just Mm -hmm. exactly alike because of the displacement. All right, so they're 104 horsepower, (laughs) 1.6. Sorry, sorry. so what? You can do it. Going to walk into a bar and be like, I have a car with an F1 engine. No, you don't. (laughs) No, he's going to be laughed out of said bar. That's that's the end of that discussion. I managed to keep a straight face through that entire thing. So. Just you managed to, but yeah, okay, <laughs> onward. All right, so it's also got a 43-horsepower electric motor on all the trim levels. So it is considered, as I mentioned here, a parallel hybrid, 
So that means either the engine or the motor can individually drive the car or they can be coupled together, which is a very yeah. common hybrid system. I like the interior. I like the price. It's targeting 50 miles to the gallon for this car. I'm just flat out impressed by what Kia is doing. They haven't gone overboard with styling. That is, mm -hmm. it's, it's a good looking car here. And it starts at 22, well, 23. I mean, you can fully load it up with this Touring. I see it's close to 30 with all the stuff. Yeah. Kind of depends on what you want. But the best part is they have not put a CVT on this car. It's mm -hmm. a six-speed dual-clutch transmission. So therefore, there's some... Yeah, what the heck. Yeah. There's some sport lurking in here. Now, we haven't driven this car yet, and I'm here selling it to you, so clearly it behooves <laughs> us to go drive this car. But the stats yes. are impressive. The price is impressive, and it looks like a more expensive car than it is, to my eye. Mm. I'm just, I'm pretty amazed by this little thing, and I think Kia deserves some some recognition here and some looks, and I'm just okay. digging it. So I'm going right. to start with the with the Kia Nero, but okay. then in clearly in the, the CUV category, I'm going to touch on the Mercedes GLA 250. Thank you. Going to offer this up to you, Chuck, and. Put that out there. Now, the AMG 45, I just recently found a used one for $45,000. That's probably outside of your budget. But this GLA 250, it's fun. It's interesting. It's got just Agreed. over 200 horsepower, totally turbo agree. motor. Yep. Uh, so there's there's some sport. There's some CUV. There's the hatchback thing you're looking for. There's still mm -hmm. some fun. It's not a track car, but that's not what you're looking for. Okay? I love that you brought that up. That was actually... That was almost my sniper shot, that car, except for the fact that I don't know if it's out of his budget. Because by the time he gets one for real, it's going to be 35, 38, probably, because they start at 32. But I think that is a, that's what I talked about the asp aspiring to something earlier. That is a car that it, it would have decent dynamics, good amount of power, which he's hoping for. It doesn't feel big. And yet, I think you'd drive that car and just be proud you have it. So that mm -hmm. I really like yeah. it. I wonder if it's out of the budget, but I had it on my extreme short list. I love that you brought it up. Hmm. Cool, cool. We're thinking alike. My top end for you, Chuck, and this is just a consideration, but you need to know about the all-new Volvo XC60. The interior okay. is jewelry. Killer. It's killer. Yeah. <laughs> it is amazing. I love the style. I love what Volvo's doing. It's a little bit bigger, and it might be a little bit too big for what you're looking for. Mini Cooper too be, small. Yeah. This might be a little too big, and it might be too expensive. But I guarantee you, part of you is going to want this car when you sit in it, drive it. It's that CUV category. It's still going to be interesting, fun to drive, but what a just a nice place to be. The interior is hands down. It's just it's better than most cars on the road right now. I'm just floored by this. Volvo's thing. doing. Great things in interior, for sure. It's yeah. a mini S90. I recently sat in the S90, floored. Just everything mm -hmm. is just so. It's just so. And, <laughs> oh, man, I really, really okay. appreciate what they're doing. So that's at my top end. I'll leave it there. So those are my three choices for you to consider. Totally different than what you might have thought of, but you've got to at least go check mm -hmm. these out. And hopefully somewhere Good. in there, some trim level will, will fit a budget for you. Good, good, good. I think those are excellent. I want to add a couple. First off, the thing I don't know here, Chuck, is what's wrong with the Mazda 3? That, that's not defined here. I mean, you actually talk it up, and then you say your wife doesn't like it. So oh, what right. does she not like? 
Now, it's also not going to be her car. She has another car. So she doesn't – I'm going to say it to you. Look, this is the reality of marriage. She doesn't have to like it. I mean, she has to tolerate it <laughs> candidly. She has she has to tolerate it, but she doesn't like it. So I, I am wondering what she doesn't like about it. I'm wondering if both of you are just leaning toward you want that little more, a little bit higher ride height and and that kind of. Stuff. I'm wondering if that's what's really happening here, why she was pushing you toward the uh, the HRV. But uh, I really respond to the fact that you like the dynamics of that Mazda three, and. You like stuff that's a little on the smaller end. And I was letting this inform me. So I have a couple for you. First off, I want to say also in the wild card category, Honda CRZ. Oh. I mean, great yeah, gas mileage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is very small, very chuckable. I know we bring up this car off and on. It is in wild card category because it may not work for your needs because you said the Mini Cooper was too small. So this may be completely out. But I just thought there's a car that does great gas mileage, is interesting, has good dynamics. I will admit, size-wise, it's probably wild card, but I'm putting it out there. But if you like the Mazda 3, and if you're leaning toward CUVs, you have to look at both the CX-3, which I think may be too small for you but is great, or the CX-5, which is one of our top cars. Mm, If you're going to shop in this area, look at the CX-5. The new one, just refreshed interior and exterior, is even cooler so it's because you like that Mazda 3, I think you have to look at the, at the CX-5. I think the Ford C-Max Energy you brought up is just going to be fine. Mm, I, I, yeah, I, if you don't like yeah. the HRV, I think the C-Max isn't going to be interesting. We know these Mazda chassis are interesting to drive. You know that firsthand. So I think you have to look at those two. Paul already brought up the GLA 250, which may be upper end of your budget, but I think that is a real consideration. Go drive that car. It may be something where you're both just impressed. It is a great little hot hatch, almost CUV alternative. And then I have to bring it up because it feels like an elephant in the room moment. You want roughly 30 miles to gallon. You want kind of small and chuckable. You're willing to not go hatchback for the right car. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we talking about the WRX? Why is it not on this list? I mean, True. you said you'd like to look at the GTI, and True. I think you need to look at the GTI. Shop the GTI for real because that's in your budget. It will do everything you're talking about, and you may be done right there. But you need to go drive a WRX. Now, you know, if, if, if let's just say your wife's problem with the Mazda 3 is that it's two-boy racer, well, we've really lost her on the, on the, uh, the WRX. But I just <laughs> right. say embrace it. I, 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 will, I will be your teenage friend here, Chuck. <laughs> embrace it. Buy it in a ridiculously bright color and say, honey, I love my car. I, I don't know. I just, I, that, I, I'm taking a risk for you here. But go drive a WRX because, okay, it's going to get a little under 30. They're, they're, they're listed at 27. Most people I know that drive them are getting 26, 27 in the highway if you're doing highway driving. That's pretty close to what you're talking about. But it's a totally different fun quotient than everything else we're talking about here. And they are surprisingly roomy. As far as front seats, back seats, and trunk. They don't have a hatch, but you will actually have better back seat room than a lot of these small CUVs we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, true. So I think you need to drive that car. You need to consider that car. Yes, there's a CUV if you get the automatic. As CUVs go, it's the prettiest of the ugly girls. I hate to say it that way, but (laughs) it's just, you know, it is. Because CUVs are not something that are known for their engagement, but Subaru has done a good job in programming that one to feel like you can actually tell it what to do. So, okay. So that is a, a real consideration. I think it shouldn't be overlooked here. Drive that, drive the, drive the GTI, and then look at these small CUVs. I think something there is going to hit you and let us know what strikes. Have you noticed we're almost 40 minutes into the podcast and I haven't even said the word Porsche? 
Uh, well, there you go. Oops. Yeah. Somebody, somebody's very glad because they can crack open a bottle right now. They've been waiting, <laughs> and now they, can, they, now they can really say we're having a podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, before we jump into all the amazing questions, I do want to talk about our friends at Covercraft and how awesome they've been to us. And you've heard me ta- tell the story just on the last podcast about my Audi, most all of my cars, and I've used Covercraft car covers on them to keep yep. them nice. The CPO, you keep kidding me about and Certified sunshades. Paul owned. There it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm telling you, spring is here. I'm I'm already using these products on both the Jeep and my Cayman GTS because it protects it from sun damage. It keeps the car cooler. If you live in a place where you can't really tint your windows too darkly, as a matter of fact, Utah just uh, actually increased that here, so you can actually go a little bit darker, which is great. They're officially going to no actual safety inspections, which means you can drive around with opaque windows if you'd like. But yeah, I would suggest removing the sunscreen before you drive, but to keep your car ideally, yes. (laughs) No, they've got amazing seat covers, dash covers, floor mats. If you're interested in protecting your baby, Covercraft.com, and they have kindly given us a code for free shipping. Many of you are using it already, so the code is debate. When you go to Covercraft.com and order products, use that. Think of us, and uh, hopefully you'll protect your baby as well. For sure. I've never seen anybody as religiously use a windshield cover as you, my friend. It's it's it just works. it's part of your startup procedure. It but, works. but to your credit, you rarely get into your car and it's too hot. That is one amazing thing about your your, uh, your procedure there. So I will I will back your play. Lots of great questions on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you so much. Uh, one of them that I wanted to talk about, uh, let's see, Mount Blecano asked a question that I wanted to speak to. He said, how many G's do we think it would take to make a 911 <laughs> in a corner roll over like a lifted truck? So a lifted many. truck takes a turn too sharp. How many jeans <laughs> would it take? Here, here's the thing I'm going to say about this, Blake. Um, this isn't going to happen. And, and here's why. The, the truck's center of gravity is so high that allows it to do this. What would happen in a 911 or any sports car is that as the Gs get high enough to overdo the corner, what's going to happen is the tires are going to break traction long before the car rolls, yeah, and it's just yeah. going to start to spin. When you see a car roll in a movie, and this is why I want to bring this, I want to talk about you know, Fast and Furious 8 is coming out, and it'll have tons of this ridiculousness. But when you see a movie, a car roll in a movie or whatever, one of two things is happening there. They either introduce something that hits the low wheels, as in the car, and if you've seen, this happens in real life too. Somebody overcooks a corner, and they understeer out of the corner, and their wheels hit the curb. Well, now the wheels have stopped, but the center of gravity is still moving. Mm-hmm. That can cause a sports car to roll. That's one option. But when you see it in a film, what they're most of the time they're doing when they roll a car on film, they have put an actual detonated charge that throws a chunk of metal out of the bottom of the car. I thought it was it a is stump, actual, it, like a piece of wood. It can or be. Something. It can be. It's it's not a it's not a like a wood stump often, but it can be like a big looks like a big metal <laughs> oversized can often. Sometimes you can watch like movies from the seventies and eighties when you're first doing it. You can watch the can exit the frame and roll out. Of, I mean, you <laughs> see the whole thing happen. It's like this this so short range cannon out of the bottom of the car because you'll have the stuntman put it into a into a tar- sharp corner and then they blow that charge that sends this object out of the bottom of the car that then that creates the momentum to tip it a sports car is not going to tip like that the, the tires are going to give way first agreed agreed well brian h on instagram is asking us when will the auto industry get over their infatuation for touchscreens 
He wants buttons <laughs> and knobs so that he doesn't have to look at them because, Brian, mm-hmm. I agree, touchscreens are the opposite. They really do require you to focus on them to be useful. Yep, yep. I agree. There's, there's a debate here on the touchscreen thing because think about the automaker's perspective and the manufacturing mm-hmm. costs because a button requires injection molding and therefore tooling to be cut out of steel, injection molded, and that part made – many, many times assembled mm-hmm. all that stuff. Whereas a touchscreen, sure, sure. you can build all this functionality into one piece, essentially. I mean, there's many pieces yeah. to make the screen, yeah. but you know what I mean? It's it's one thing with many functions. Absolutely. That's a huge cost savings right there. And with technology, touchscreens and everything connected to one central location. Agreed, agreed. It's yeah. driving styling. Touchscreens and the use of them is influencing styling, just as yeah. government crash regulations influence styling, you know, from integrating the turn signal into the headlight cluster, and so now it's a cheaper one-piece unit and blah, blah, instead of a separate turn signal in the bumper or whatever. We've seen that proliferation. Now we're seeing touchscreens yeah. proliferate. Yeah. I agree, and even while you're der- you're driving, we're so used to looking at our phones and you know concentrating on whatever we're doing, and then we start to gaze into the screen, and you start to forget. Right, driving is priority number oh, yeah. one when you're sitting mm-hmm. in that st- that seat, not looking at this screen. Yeah. Two ton piece of metal, I'm I'm piloting. I ought to pay attention. Yeah, that's bad news. I, I'm with you. It, it just think of it from a manufacturing perspective, though. You mean we don't have to, you know, make all those, or our suppliers don't? The tier one, two, and three suppliers. Yeah. Don't have to make yeah. all these extra little parts and pieces and, you know, the fitting of that and the assembly and it's got to, you know, work well and be a, a certain high quality and all this stuff. How about a touchscreen? So much to mm-hmm. solved. Interior materials, easier to apply, all yeah. that kind of stuff. There's a lot of decision making going into. So designers are pushing for one thing, marketing and just the people making them. It's it's a mix. It's the way technology's going, unfortunately. So I, I get your point. But we could debate on and on. I, well, I, I I love this question. I had it on my list too, Brian. Here here's the the sad truth of it. This ship has sailed, my friend. It's never <laughs> coming back. And and the thing is, as Paul's already spoken to, it it allows for depth of menus, which is candidly dangerous from a driving perspective. Right. But but you but because of the touchscreen, you have depth of menus. I'm going to give you two alternative cars. Look at about a 2010 Honda Accord or a 2010 Porsche Panamera. The reason those relate to this discussion is because they are festooned with buttons on the interior mm-hmm. because they have tons of buttons that do one thing. Now, I personally don't mind that. I actually think that's great. I, I don't mind sitting in a Panamera for two minutes and going, oh, there's that button. And then I'll never forget where that button is. The same thing was true of that, that era of the Honda Accord. But, but once you do the screen, look, Tesla's the extreme example. Once you do the screen, you don't need any buttons. And it can be super clean and hyper-modern. And look at us, and the buttons won't age. On top of the whole manufacturing discussion that Paul is having, the answer, if there is one, <laughs> I think from a driving perspective only, because if we go autonomous, then it's a screen and we don't care. But but from a driving perspective, is that combination of there are tactile buttons with good – think about how Audi and, and Volkswagen, but Audi especially, figure out the tactility of their buttons and knobs. There is a specific thing to each button and knob. If you have those for the things you're always going to use, volume and HVAC controls – and then touch screen for the deeper stuff you use every now and then and can wait to a stoplight. Those combinations seem to be the best combinations. When it goes all touch screen, you're in genuine trouble. 
And when it's all buttons, now you've, you've just got this whole dashboard of buttons and you're trying to figure out where is that button. There is a happy medium here, but the touchscreen is here to stay. Agreed. There is one button that I want to remain a button, and it's the air conditioner, the air recirculate button. I need that yes. oh, close yes. at Absolutely. hand to mm-hmm. prevent, you know, fumes, diesel trucks, cars, hard on the gas, and the, all the fumes coming into the cockpit. Yep. I yep. need that button, like the biggest one, like the mute button on <laughs> your TV remote. Like, there it is. It, it's, it's, it's right next to the hazards. It's hazards and yeah, recirculate. Those, totally. are, those are the two ones on the dash that you've got to have. That's funny. I like it. <laughs> Uh, what else? What else stuck out here? Uh, well, William Pressure said, what car would you make a track car? What car do you think would be a good track car for someone who can't drive stick? They only want to drive automatic as a track car. And then he says, no Porsches. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. I'm going to say to you, William, uh, anything with the ZF 8-speed uh, transmission is probably a pretty good candidate. I mean, BMW does great things with that in their their lower-level 2-series BMWs has got that 8-speed. That ZF is in all kinds of things. Yeah, it is. And typically it is – it depends on the car. I mean, obviously the cars that are more family haulers with that don't have, you know, a quick-shifting reality. But that that 8-speed uh, can be set up in such a way and programmed in such a way that it's a surprisingly good auto for track use and for hard driving. That's a good one. Uh, there, hey, I've known a good number of people that have uh, tracked uh, Corvettes with the automatic. It's not my right. first choice, but right. you could certainly do it. So that's an option as well. Those are the first two that jump into my mind as uh, autos you could get by with that are not Porsche automatics. There are others, but I think the the ZF8 speed is a real is a real special transmission in anything it's in. I'm with you. I would think about the Mitsubishi Evo MR with its nice dual clutch oh, transmission. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for doing that. That's a great uh, one. Anything with a dual clutch because of the speed with which they shift and they're so robust. So I, I would think something like that. And and dual clutch transmissions, they're really designed for track work. They're just so yeah. amazing on and track. That, it's amazing. I did not bring up the Evo X for once, but you're absolutely right. That transmission is – that is a far better transmission than you would think yeah. knowing that little company and that inexpensive car. That's a very good one. Yeah, great question. Uh, Instagram, Schmitzmash, I, sure, having trouble sure. pronouncing that, we'll go with that. Oh, avatars are the bane of our existence on yeah. Instagram. That will Schmitz, be the, the case Schmitz for a while, yeah. All right, so we'll go with that. He's asking, well, he or she, could be a she, how do you carry your keys around? Clip on your belt loop, a lanyard, pocket, <laughs> your wife's purse. Well, as a matter of fact, I keep my key entirely separate from all my other keys. Yeah. Both the Jeep yeah. and the Porsche. It is a separate. The Porsche, of course, has a Porsche fob on it. Of course it does. Yeah. But the Jeep, it's a push-button start. So I can just keep that in my pocket. But I keep it separately. It's not on the key ring. Honestly, I like the car key to be separate because especially when it's in an ignition, you've probably read stories about the weight of your car keys and all the junk hanging off it can actually pull on the ignition switch and cause damage over time. It does happen. Yeah, it was – G- GM could tell you all about that. Anyway, GM yeah, can tell you uh-huh. about that. I just I don't Sadly, want the weight yeah. hanging on there. The Porsche does have the ignition, even though with that little car shaped fob that it is, you still have to stick mm-hmm. it in and twist it like a key. I just I want just the Porsche logo hanging off of that key, and that's it. I don't want my keys jangling. I don't want the noise. I want my car, my uh, house keys, and my pocket separately. So it's a little weird, I realize, but I just I want but- the car key separate. 
that's it's not it's not that weird it's not that you don't weird because I'm right there with you on it I I, I want to keep that key separate I I keep it separate for a different reason not only not not want it hanging out of the uh, the the ignition uh, invariably because of my long legs and they're not as long as yours but it's because of my long legs if I have more than one key on the key ring I've got something just like wagging back and forth and swiping against my knee yeah yeah. And that drives me nuts. And my wife, and I, I, I think this is not an uncommon thing, she has that huge ball of keys, one of which is her ignition key. Drives me insane. <laughs> and so anytime I drive her car, I peel that off the monster key ring that could double as like a manhole cover. I peel that off, and I use just the key in the Porsche. And, of I course, like- then she's like, where – then she's like, where are the rest of my keys? I'm like, I don't need the rest of the key. I need the car key, just the car key. But then my FRS key is all by itself on, because I'm a climber, a tiny little carabiner, like a one-inch tall carabiner. And I have a tendency to clip that to my pants. And there you go. That's a weird question, but that's which the answer. Is, which is cool. I, I don't understand why people have so many keys. Like, how many locks do you have in your life? I have my house key, <laughs> the actually the key for the ski rack, which I can take off, and yeah. the mailbox key, I think. That's yep. it. And you're done. And you're done. It's just yeah, very lightweight. I don't have this nest of keys on this giant jangly key ring. How many, how many locks do you have? I, anyway. <laughs> what, what prison are you walking into every day? <laughs> exactly. what, what's happening here? Yeah. <laughs> you're a custodian or you work at a prison or yeah, exactly. you need keys to the entire building or what? I, anyway, I don't get it. Uh, Shane said that he's uh, he's not sure if this is a comment or a question, but he's pretty sure that since we've started saying "Ask me about cheap Phaetons and selling the "Ask me about cheap Phaetons" T-shirt, he's pretty sure the prices have gone up. <laughs> Shane, I would love to think we're that influential. I seriously doubt it's because I of us, it. but uh, I I, you know, it. I would love for you to have one of those shirts because those shirts are great. Uh, but uh, and, and and they are ridiculous. But uh, yeah, that I, I still would love to have a cheap Phaeton. But of course, you know, the last thing we can do right now on the show is just burn money for fun but uh yeah hopefully we'll get there <laughs> what else what else oh uh bill f is writing on facebook about kia since i've touched on kia yes i love kia have we ever driven the forte because he's seen them advertise new under fourteen thousand dollars he thinks they're quite nice looking and he sat one recently at the houston auto show and thought the interior is pretty nice pretty decent for the price Actually, I have not driven the Forte. I had an opportunity a few years ago at the Motor Press Guild Track Day. Did you get in mm-hmm. that Forte at all? Have you been in I one? I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How mm-hmm. was it? Well, I felt like it was uh, – and this is at least a full generation back. But I felt like it was a middle-of-the-pack performer. But it's good-looking and it's affordable. I mean that's that's where Kia and Hyundai has been for a while anyway. You know? so, yeah. And that was I, I a generation back, as you said. That's a full generation back. It's, it, they've only gotten better since then. I would love to actually like to drive the new one, but you can get that prior gen. I mean, a lot of them are cheap. We're talking about cheap Fiestas. You can get uh, cheap uh, Kia Fortes for sure. I'm thinking everything is is just pretty well thought out for the market segment, and I like them. I just haven't driven them. We know they're not going to be an equivalent ST something from Ford or something really hot, but it's going to be decent. And I think for the price, it's going to be really hard to go wrong, to be honest, Bill. So there you go. Hopefully that's helpful. So many good questions. Sean Quinn asked, and actually Jordan responded, and I I agree with Jordan's commentary, but Sean Quinn asked, how does someone that's new to a mid-engine car essentially get into a mid-engine car and not injure themselves or the car or his description keep from wiping their license plate off on the mountain road? Uh, So how do you do do that? The the big thing, (laughs) Sean, about a mid-engine car or especially a rear-engine car, this was the 911's problem, 
is you can't be lifting off the power mid-corner. You have to brake prior to the corner, and then you have to get off the brakes and settle the car with power. Now, I don't mean put your foot in it right away, but I mean just you, you find that place where you're able to settle it. You put a little bit of power into it so that the wheels settle that back end. Because if you if you get on the brakes real hard and you get the, the weight off those rear wheels, that's where you have that inertia moment sitting behind you now that can really get you in trouble. So it is about how you use the throttle in the in the corner and it is less forgiving than the front uh front engine cars in that regard that's that's the short answer to that question yep keep your foot in it absolutely that's that's the lotus method right there absolutely but but on the other end of the, i mean there there is a line though because i well, remember sure. one year at the motor press guild track days I watched three journalists in a row spin a yeah. supercharged Lotus Elise. Yeah. And that was an example of getting on too much power too early in the corner. You've got to have some to settle the car, but you can't get nuts with it either because it'll be like, oh, we're having a party. Let's do that. So it's a, there, there's, a, there's a line to find there. It's, a, it's, a more, it's one of the reasons we talk about mid-engines being on your progression of car ownership. It would be cool to own a mid-engine or at least drive one a lot because there is a slightly different feel. And it takes a, 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 some driving experience, but it's very doable. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at a question here from Matthew F., who's asking about the break-in period on cars, which we don't really ever talk about. So excellent thought here. He's asking that, uh, you know, how long do we think the proper break-in period should be? He's thinking about normal engine, one of the Corollas, you know, with the spoiler wouldn't matter. You're right. But the high compression or high PSI engine, the Focus RS, as in your car, yes, look at the manufacturer break-in period. It's very closely aligned with what engineering specifies. And the main thing mm -hmm. is, are the rings, the piston rings. Those are, are being seated and, you know, getting to know their cylinder and getting <laughs> to know your driving styles, all that kind of stuff. Getting so, to know their <laughs> cylinder. Okay. Are. Yeah. Onward. They're, okay. They're, they're getting introduced. And, uh, yeah, I, um, I've even thought about, you know, well, I, I did on my Jeep, but I changed the oil pretty early on, like 1,500 miles, just to, yeah, okay, that's the yeah. break in oil, and then change the oil for real, then we're good, you know, sort of resets everything. That's me. I, I might be a little over-maintaining, especially with, with uh, today's oils, Certif if you know what I mean. Certified Paul-owned. Yeah. yeah. There it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. There's I an just, example. I always come back to the manufacturer recommendations with a catch because even Porsche is saying 20,000 miles between service. I would never go 20,000 miles. You can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The car is supposed to tell you and it, it often goes farther than you think. That's, that's a fair point. It's a fair point. But, uh, but I wouldn't. So yeah, maintenance is the key. Oil is the lifeblood of your engine. That's the single best thing you can do unless you have an electric car, of course, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Greg uh, Scantlebury asked an interesting question that at first I didn't have an answer for, and then one kind of filtered its way through my brain, and I went, that's what I'd like to do. His question was, what's one thing we wish we knew how to do ourselves when working on cars? And I thought of one. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, there's a lot of things I'd love to know how to do. The, the, but the big thing about working on your own car, Greg, I've, I've ranted about this before. I feel like the dividing line, look, there's a lot of very talented mechanics out there, and I will never be one of them. But the thing that they have in their favor is they always have the right tool. Yeah, the number of times yeah. I have just battled with this weird nut in this odd place and I can't – and you show up at the mechanic and they go, oh, you need one of these. And they pull out this weird tool that – what is that for? It's just for that nut. 
and they get it out the first try. Right. And you sit there and you beat your head against the wall like, right. you've got to be kidding me. Why would I have that tool? So that's a side note. But I would say I wish I knew how to do my own alignment hmm. because – because then you could play with the alignment of the car. Look, I'm not saying let's re-engineer the thing. But if you wanted to set up a track alignment or you wanted to go on a road trip and you wanted a little bit different alignment, you could just go do that. I have no ability to do that. And when you go to – alignment is one of those things where you're just trusting the guy did it right. You just I, I like it to be like this. Would you get me a track alignment? Sure, I'll get you a track alignment. How much camber do you want? Hopefully he did that right. He gave you a little sheet that shows you the green and the red and whatever. I'd like to be able to do my own alignment. That would be cool. Hmm. That's a really good one, actually, because you know how you want it to feel. You know how you want the steering wheel to center on certain exactly. roads. You exactly. know what you're yep. looking for, yep. and it's hard to translate that information to the guys just setting the factory specs when, okay, I like even that a lot. He, and even if he does it, I mean, I know there are some guys here in Utah that have, that have been recommended to me for if you want to go get a track alignment, they'll help you and that kind of thing. I get that, but it it takes away your ability to play. You you can't mm-hmm. you can't have if you could just change the camber and be like, you know what, that's not feeling right. I, I want to go back the other way. But having the ability to actually put it on the the thing that reads the settings and be able to do it yourself, you really now could play and fine tune the t- the handling feel of kind of any car you own. You could screw it up, you yeah. probably would, but knowing how to do it would be cool. Greg, I think to Todd's point, I would just like to have the time and the space and the right tools just to do my own oil changes more easily, like a lift. Yeah. Like the lift yeah, is yeah, yeah. crucial. Oh, I, yeah. I want mm. a lift and the space. And just – I feel like, yeah, having all those things would sort of open open up the doors a little bit more, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It would just open up possibilities just to be able to clean underneath stuff, clean salt and rocks out of the car and just look at things and just be able to put my own eyes on certain areas of the car very easily and quickly so I know what's going mm-hmm. on with tire wear yeah. and yeah. brakes yeah. and – you know, I can just give the underbody a quick check and, you know, look at seals and boots and things like that and, and mm-hmm. keep on top of it. I I just yeah, lifts are really, really handy. So that's that's kind of mine. <laughs> you know Lifts for everyone. Lifts yeah, for that's everyone. Ah, uh, what else? <laughs> Gosh, I'm scrolling here. So many, so yeah. many. There's great questions. Oh, you man. see Clement Lau's question? I figured you'd have a thought on this. I have my gut instinct on it, but I wanted to talk to this. He's asking if a first-gen Cayman R is worth it, or does it make more sense for the same money to just get yourself a slightly used next-gen, second-gen Cayman? And would that be a better car? Would the Cayman S, incoming Cayman S 981, be a better car than the first-gen Cayman R was? Mm. I'm going I'm to answer this question two ways. I actually think the newer car, the S, probably supersedes the R in just about every area except for steering feel. So depending upon what you want, I think that's the deciding factor. If you have the chance to drive both, I I think the thing that's going to be the deciding factor is steering feel. Because the, the 981, the second gen... It refined the interior really nicely. The power delivery is really nice. I mean, it, it is a more refined, better car. I love the styling more, and I like the styling of the first one, but the styling of the second one is awesome. It's refined in almost every way that I feel like makes the Cayman R not worth it. However, that Cayman R is a little more focused. The first one was more focused anyway. That Cayman R is going to have better steering feel and a little more raw 
uh, feeling behind the wheel. If that's what you want, the Cayman R would win. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm with you here. I like the Cayman R. Interestingly, they're still fairly expensive. And mm-hmm. you could get them with the PDK or manual transmission, either one. I'm with you. They're going to feel a little bit more raw and just a focused thing. I, I'm liking it to the likening it to the 911s. So say you've got the prior generation 911S, Carrera S, mm-hmm. and now they come sure. out with the new model, sure. the next gen 911, straight up base 911. Well, that prior gen mm-hmm. S is going to have a little tiny bit more horsepower, but now you're getting a more refined chassis. The power delivery is different between the the generations right now, from the jump from you know sure, sure. the regular na- naturally aspirated engines to the turbo. They're going to make power. Oh yeah, the nine nine one one to two. You're right. Very good point. Very good point. That's yeah. a you know that's a actually a huge jump because the power delivery is so different. You're not winding it out anymore. You've got all that turbo mm-hmm. torque to play with, and it's you know all those little refinements. So you wouldn't be wrong and you wouldn't do badly to get the lower trim level of the newest generation. But yeah. if the stuff appeals to you, like this Cayman R, if that really appeals to you, those are amazing cars. I mean, they're just they're still amazing. That's just where they were at the top end. I don't think we're going to see a Cayman R because of the way we've gone to GT4, GT4 RS, yeah. all those kinds of things. Yeah. I think the Cayman R is going to be a bit of a rare beast. So in this case, you wouldn't be doing badly to... You know, to go after that car too. It'd feel pretty awesome. Kevin, I want to call you out as having a fantastic question that we're not going to cover tonight. <laughs> your question here's your question. Your question was you'd like us to give you our favorite must buy cars at about every uh, ten thousand dollar price increment, like at twenty, at thirty, at forty, and you say you want us to go all the way up to two hundred K. Uh, buckle in, my friend, because that will take some time. Maybe we'll do that for like a Topic Tuesday. That's I, a, I think it's a great a question. Yeah. I think it's a great question, but uh, and I actually would like to do it, but I do have to say that is not something we can fit into just this question format. It is way too long. Well, thanks a million for watching and for listening. Don't forget the films, Icon Film. As I mentioned on the last podcast, we have got films. If you're an enthusiast, BMW Enthusiast, the Icon film, has been one of our mm-hmm. best-selling films. Check that out when you get a chance. And episode three coming your way on Velocity Channel this Saturday. One of my favorites. One yeah. of my favorites. It is the Focus RS piece. It was amazing to shoot, other than the fact it was blindingly hot that day. <laughs> I mean, the just Subi had like problems. We, it had some heating we problems. Were, we were puddles. We were puddles of sweat trying to get that thing shot. But it was an amazing drive day. It ended up being a really fun piece. That's one of those pieces, in spite of how really difficult the shoot was, it's one of those pieces where every step worked well, in spite of the weather. <laughs> in spite the of the shoot heat. was fun. Exactly. The shoot was fun. The driving was amazing. The edit went together well, and I had fun editing it. It's just, it's a really fun piece. It did cut down, have to cut down quite a bit for TV, but I think it cut down well. So I very much encourage you to see the TV version of that. Actually, one of you asked about uh, reruns of our uh, show on Velocity. Because it is not a Velocity-owned show, Velocity will not be rerunning it. The shows they own, they rerun them until they fall apart. (laughs) But our show is not owned outright by them. We own the rights. So while some of our episodes will rerun in this 13-week run, they won't be rerun in other places of the schedule because uh, it's not our deal. So that's that situation. But we'd love for you to watch episode three. Let us know your thoughts. Share it with a friend. Thank you to those of you that have watched so far. And this is week three of 13. There's a lot more coming. 
Keep the great questions coming as well on Facebook and write to us with your own debate on the website, everydaydriver.com and our email, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. Once again, thanks, guys. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Cheers.